But also, how can you tell your kid not to be on social network when that's their entire social life? <laughs> and the thing is, parents were not successful, but it, it was not a coincidence that parents were not successful. They were not successful because things were stacking against them because the designs of our technologies are basically there to addict us. We have a business model uh, which has persisted for over two decades now, that we get everything for free. So we get Gmail for free, or we get you know Instagram for free, or Twitter for free. But we do pay. We just pay with something else. You know, we pay with our time and with our data. Welcome to the Your Village podcast: Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. So today we have Gaia Bernstein on the show. I am so excited to have you on today. Gaia Bernstein is a law professor, co-director of the Institute for Privacy Protection and co-director for the Gibbons Institute for Law, Science and Technology at the Seton Hall University School of Law. She writes, teaches, and lectures in the intersection of law, technology, health, and privacy. Gaia is also the mother of three children who grew up in a world of smartphones, iPads, and social networks. Her recently released book, Unwired, Gaining Control Over Addictive Technologies, shatters the illusion that we can control how much time we spend on our screens by resorting to self-help measures. Unwired shifts responsibility for a solution from users to the technology industry which designs its products to addict. The book draws out the legal actions that can pressure the technology industry to redesign its products to reduce technology overuse. So Gaia, I'm so excited to have you on today and discuss this topic. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm excited to dig into this because my area of research in grad school was actually about the effect of technology and media on children's development. So I think we have a lot of areas of overlap here, and we're going to have some really enlightening and interesting and educating conversations for the audience today. You know, because I think this is an area where a lot of us parents have struggled through. How much screen time is too much screen time? How do we get our kids off? It, we're busy. It's hard to really manage that process when we need to get things done. It's easier sometimes to just have them online so that we can get our things done. So we're really trying to manage this, especially since COVID. Like that really even, I think put a brighter light on this whole topic. Right. I think actually before COVID, parents were the only one who paid attention to the problems. And through COVID, things became much worse, but in some way better, I think, because they became worse because obviously everybody was using technology much, much more and new habits were formed and our screen time went up and never really went down again and neither did our kids. And we sort of got used to the idea that we have no choice and we give the kids the screen. So that was not the good part. I think what is hopeful about this is that with COVID, 
people started paying attention and not just parents, lots of people felt what it means to be online all the time, how their bodies feel, how their mind feels, how their kids look. So there's much more awareness. And I think it's the most important step for change. Very true. Like we just feel like we're so connected all the time and people are definitely starting to notice that. So in the book, you share some of your reasons for wanting to focus on this topic. And I'd love for you to share this because I can relate so much to what you share about this. And I'm sure many other parents can as well. So I, I think it's a problem for all of us. I mean, people often talk about technology addiction. And yes, you know, there is a smaller subset of people who are clinically addicted. Often gamers who would play all night, not go to school, flung out of school, not show up to work. But the thing is, all of us, all of us overuse our technologies. And by overuse, I mean a lot. I mean, people, adults spend, you know, five hours on their phones alone. I'm not talking about time spent, you know, for work on computers or just iPads. And kids spend much more and half of teens say that constantly online. So we sort of got into this situation somewhere around 2009, things started changing for us and we just made small decisions. Okay, I am going to start texting on the go when I'm going to work. I will text my babysitters or I'll just do my work email on my way to work and then I'll be more efficient when I get to work and I'll join Facebook. We didn't really, we thought it was with tiny decisions. And by the time we looked up and realized what was happening, and I would say people started realizing more about really 2018, things were so drastically changed. I mean, our life was so connected to screens, business interests, the internet economy was so based on our time on screen that we couldn't really just disentangle. But the thing is, we never really made an autonomous decision. Is this how we want to live our lives? Do I want my child in the room on the screen all day? Do I want to keep looking at my phone when somebody's talking to me? Or do I want to spend so many hours? I mean, time is the most important things we have. Very true. I remember you were telling a story about kids always being online, even at parties and not interacting. And it reminded me of a, I've only had this experience once, thank goodness, but it was a party really early on. I think my son was a four and a friend of his was turning five and all the kids had iPads and, and I didn't get my kids technology for quite a while, but all the kids were sitting in a row, not interacting with each other at this party. And my son was like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, I, I think for me, I, when I stopped paying attention to what was going on, I suddenly realized that the same kids I knew for years were suddenly behaving differently. So that birthday party was one of these first aha moments. The kids were 10 or 11, and I used to see them playing outside. And suddenly they were actually sitting in front of the TV, but they were not even looking at the TV. They were each looking at their phone. <laughs> and something seemed so strange. And, you know, and I, I just noticed more and more, like the kids walking in the street, like zombies looking at their phones. Or, you know, I would go to school shows. Suddenly I couldn't see the show because everybody was just holding up their iPads and their cameras and not really, you know, not really interacting, not really looking at it. And 
also, when I tried to do things differently, I realized it was very difficult. I went to a gym class for my daughter. She was it was demonstration gym class, and all the parents were just take, you know taking movies with their phones, taking videos, taking photographs. And I said, no, I want to focus on her. So I stood there and smiled at her. But at a certain point, she stopped and said, why, why not take pictures? And I realized it, by me not taking pictures, I'm saying this is not important anymore. And so I had no choice but to sort of also be there behind my phone. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how things have changed. So let's talk about some of the self-help measures that people and parents have tried to use in order to reduce their screen time and why it's not working. Yeah, so I think that was an important part of the process we went through. And I actually, I started an outreach program very early on uh, in New York, New Jersey. Uh, my law students went to speak to kids who got the first cell phones, fifth, sixth grade, and I spoke to parents. And so we started, uh, it was uh, 2017. And I came there and I thought, okay, people are not realizing the problem. So I'll talk about how we're spending too much time on screens and I'll give all these self-help measures. So I talked about how you should not have your phones during mealtime, how you should not have the phones during bedtime, how uh, you could model things differently. And I would always have this slide up and all the parents would take a photograph of the slide. And I was optimistic. And the thing is, about a year later, and I think at that point, people got much more information about the problem. Parents started coming to my talks and they were desperate. And they were they felt powerless because they were trying and nothing was working. And all these parental control we kept getting were not really working. They kept changing. They were not getting better. They were getting often worse. And also... Because kids' life became so enmeshed, especially in social networks, you know, parents were sort of successful with smaller kids, but the once kids hit middle school, especially, you know, seventh, eighth grade, it, it became impossible. I mean, first of all, the kids are smarter. They would beat any technological measures. But also, how can you tell your kid not to be on social network when that's their entire social life? <laughs> and the thing is, Parents were not successful, but it, it was not a coincidence that parents were not successful. They were not successful because things were stacking against them, because the designs of our technologies are basically there to addict us. We have a business model, uh, which has persisted for over two decades now, that we get everything for free. So we get Gmail for free, or we get, you know, Instagram for free or Twitter for free, but we do pay. We just pay with something else. You know, we pay with our time and with our data. And so they want us to stay there for as long as possible so they can collect more data on us and target advertising at us. And then they want us to stay for longer so we can see the advertising. So in order to achieve this, they use these manipulations and, uh, they basically ta have taken the most basic uh, psychological principle using teams of psychologists to design devices and apps in a way that will keep us there for longer. And that's why this war is impossible because you're sort of fighting an invisible enemy. 
So this is really interesting because this brings up a story for me. So in addition to having done research in this area, and the reason I did research in this area is because I actually worked for a media company before I went and got my master's in psychology and was doing therapy and started doing parenting. And I was sitting in a marketing meeting one day and they were talking about how they could market their TV shows from their games and their games from their TV shows. And we're talking about with kids because this was a company that created content mostly for kids and for families. And so they would create a video game and then they would create some code or some character or something that was in a TV show. And if you could go and watch the TV show and get the answer to that quiz question or get the code, then you could put that into the game and then you would um, level up in the game in some way or get some special, you know, whatever attribute or tool to use in the game. And I remember like my, I, I feel like my jaw must have dropped open and hit the floor. And I couldn't believe that this was their job was how can we suck as much time as possible? How can we market to kids and parent? And I just thought, oh my gosh, parents are clueless. They have no idea what they're up against, what's being used against them to market to their kids to get their eyeballs on their content. And I, that was the reason I think I went into that research. I was curious, what year was that that you, they did that? That was in 2008, 2007, 2008. Right. So I think what you've witnessed was the big, very beginning because things have become much, much more sophisticated. So once we got uh, smartphones, once we basically the designs that we have today are the for take uh, designs. We have, I'll take two examples for kids that are very uh, popular. So in games we have something called loot boxes, and loot boxes are based on the intermittent reward model. The, the idea here is that um, our brains releases more of the pleasure enhanced and neurotransmitted dopamine if we get a reward once in a while, not on a regular basis. So that's, I mean, the whole idea of the slot machine, you know, you go and you keep pulling and pulling the lever and once in a while you get money and it's enough to keep you going because there's so much dopamine released. Loot boxes operate on that. What are loot boxes? They're basically surprise boxes. They take different forms in different games, like in Fortnite, there are llamas. But the thing is, there are all kinds of powers you could get to help you advance in the game in a more effective way, like a certain cloak or magic potion or anything. But the kids don't know what's inside, so they keep trying to get them and they open them, and then sometimes they get what they want and sometimes they don't. So, And that's embedded in most games. So that is one example. Um, another example, which I think is the most vile example actually is uh, snap streaks on snapchat so snap streaks is uh, the idea that if one kid sends another kid a streak and that that kid answers the same day they start as a streak between them and then they start numbering them so it could have and they get different badges so 120 days 150 days and you have all your friends with your number of streaks and your badges but the thing is, to keep it going, both have to send a streak every 24 hours. If you miss it, you lose everything. Now, 
it doesn't mean that you have to send anything of content. You just have to send something. Why? The whole purpose is to get you on Snapchats to see the ads, to get you back to the platform. This is doing nothing but having kids spend their time getting back to the platform, not gaining any real connection, any real information. And I think that's one of the most vile ones because there's nothing. It's not even a picture. It doesn't have to be a picture. So I think that's an example of the kind of designs that sort of happened after what you saw in 2008. That it's just gotten much worse. That is so true because I know in my intro to discipline class, I talk about schedules of reinforcement. And the most addictive schedule of reinforcement is the intermittent because it's like, oh, am I going to get it this time or not? And so there's some, there's just such an excitement that builds up around that. Whereas if you get it every time or every third time, you know, you're going to get it. You don't get nearly that dopamine response. So the fact that they're honing in on that and using it against, especially children is, um, is really egregious. So the other thing I noticed is they can't pause the game. So if it's time for dinner, they can't pause and come back to where they are. They have to finish that battle or that part of the game before I can get my kids to stop and come for dinner. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then the other issue we had the other day was my son, I had to ground him from his games for he had his grades had fallen. And I said, you have to get your grades back up before you can get back on. And he said, well, I have to log in every day or I'm going to lose all my progress. And I said, well, that's too bad. <laughs> But we had a big meltdown. You know, he was pretty upset about it. And well, can I have my brother log on for me? And I said, no, you can't. (laughs) Yeah. So what you're describing puts everything together. You know, they take away. It's impossible to stop. In many ways, they take away stopping signals. You know, the autoplays, the videos that start one after after another. The uh, infinite scroll doesn't have an end to a page. And then there's also the fact that you lose everything for kids whether you lose a streak or you lose your achievements in a game, that's huge. So I found this really fascinating. You say in the book, it's actually the remnants of choice that are so misleading and that reinforce the illusion of control. Yeah, it's, you know, if if we could never stop, you know, if I could never stop spending, wasting time online, then you f- you realize something is controlling you. But, you know, I can talk about myself. I'm a professor. I write. So if I have to submit something, I, like I have to give a conference talk. I'm giving a book talk. To, oh, I'm giving a book talk tomorrow, okay? So I could take myself to a coffee shop without internet connection, and I, I can work, or I can, I can check once in a while. But so the fact that I can do this when I need to do that makes me feel like I'm in control. And then if I don't do that, I blame myself because I obviously I can do it sometimes. Why can't I do it all the time? Yeah. And the thing about that that I find a little bit scary, I guess, for lack of a better word, is that as adults, you know, I didn't grow up with all of this technology. I grew up, you know, where we were outside a lot. We were social with each other. We didn't have this kind of influence on our lives. So for me, for to know that adults struggle with this, getting pulled in and having difficulty pulling away when when our brains were formed without it, when kids today, their development is happening around this technology and they don't have the frontal lobe that's developed enough to be able to make decisions and consider in the way that we are as adults. And so it seems even more scary 
you know, that trying to help kids make good decisions around this when we're struggling with it ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the sentence that you quoted from my book is a sentence I can say as an adult, because I still think about these things. But if you're thinking about kids who know nothing but life in front of screens, they are not even realizing what is happening to them. They are not even able to say something is wrong with this because they don't really know anything else. They don't understand why they're feeling sort of, you know, tired or discontent or anxious. That That's the life they know. And that's what's really, really concerning to me because we've left a whole generation of kids in front of their screens. Add a pandemic to that. And, you know, Kids are aware of some social issues. This very same generation is fighting against uh, global warming and global uh, climate change. But this, they they can't even see it. They they don't know they have to fight it. And I think that's why we owe them to do that for them. Because I don't, it's very difficult for them to do it for themselves. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners. Ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights, or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home threads, love where you live. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important, but did you know indoor air quality can be up to a hundred times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T. 
P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA 14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Yeah, very true. I had another piece of research I did, and I don't know if this is something you've come across, but the baby Einstein CDs, do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> it's probably part of what you've come across as well, but they talked about how babies and young toddlers were learning from these DVDs and they ended up getting taken to court because scientists have proven, research has proven that under the age of, I think, two and a half to three, kids cannot learn from a screen. Like they literally cannot translate what's happening on a screen into real life and they don't learn. So they had to change the marketing around that. But even just in the name, Baby Einstein, it's like, well, who doesn't want a baby Einstein? And if my baby watches these, even if supposedly they're not telling me it's educational, they're telling me it's educational and my baby is going to be a genius if they watch it. Right. And I think that's a part exactly the problem, because as parents, we sort of believe that, you know, our kids need technology to do well in this society and they're going to learn from it. On the other hand, there's so much evidence showing that this is not the case. So much evidence, especially over the last two or three years, that cognitive development is not not only, as you said, the kids don't learn well from screens, and I'm not just talking about two, three years old who watch Baby Einstein. It's true all the way to age 18. But on top of that, that's being exposed to screens uh, detrimentally affect cognitive development at all ages. And new brain image studies show that brains of kids who are exposed to excessive screens look different in the learning uh, language areas, brains of kids who were not. So the idea that parents are told that baby Einstein or Minecraft are educational game and they download these for their kids. And then the kids are sitting there and cannot stop playing And then, of course, it's not just at home, it's in school as well. That's another big issue, what's happening in schools. Can you talk about that a little bit, what's happening in schools? Sure. I I think schools is a place where things have to change. I said before, I I think self-help measures has its limit, but I think parents can do a lot collectively. And we really need to shift from these failing home battles, you know, battling with our kids, battling with ourselves, blaming ourselves, blaming our kids, to doing things in a public sphere, whether legally, but also collectively in our communities. And I think schools are the first place to go because the policy in schools, the federal policy is the more technology, the better for over a decade. You know, schools funding depends on that. And that's despite the fact that the mega studies that not just in the US, all over the world looked at how this experiment worked, did not show that kids learn better. You know, from a screen, they actually learn better from teachers. And the problem is that for years, what sort of delayed this transformation was teachers because they were used to teaching the old way. But then the pandemic came and teachers had no choice. And they started adopting new technologies into the classroom. So they incorporated Minecraft and Roblox and started posting lectures on TikTok and more screens in the classroom. The pandemic ended, but the teachers already had these new tools. And Minecraft and Roblox now have flourishing education departments. And they're collaborating with schools and teachers. So something has dramatically to change 
because we have all the evidence the screen times is harmful for kids. And the thing is, what happens at school does not just stay in school. It, it, it filters into the home. Because if Minecraft is schoolwork, how can you tell the kids to stop playing Minecraft? And if they're working on screens in school, homework will be on screens too. And you can't really see what they're doing. And they're exposed to so much screen time. So I think parents have to have a lot of impact an individual school level, district level to start changing policy. Not all technology in the classroom is better. We have to evaluate, is a specific technology good? If we're doing quiz games to assess kids, is it better than a teacher doing it? Maybe it is if the kids are more motivated, but everything has to be assessed, not just assumed that because it's technology, it's better. Or cell phones in school. You know, France bans cell phones even during recess. Do we want the kids to have cell phones in school? Some schools in the U.S. have banned it during classes, some even during recess or lunch. But that's something schools have to evaluate because it's clear kids are not talking to each other. They're sitting on their phones. There are so many ways limiting screen time according to age. Nobody should be on screens all the time in school and there are differences between ages. We should have guidelines in the meantime and parents pressuring for these guidelines and we have to change the policy. And I think that's a huge point of pressure where parents can play a really important role. Yeah, I always, you know, I have two sets of guidelines. I always tell parents about the American Academy of Pediatrics is one set of guidelines. And then there's the, I think it's zero to three.org has guidelines. It's mostly for younger kids, but they do, they set some pretty strict guidelines about screen time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The American Pediatrics Association, also the guidelines, but actually they're mostly focused on kids up to the age of five. And actually, I think this problem is easier. Because when the kid is smaller, if the parents make a decision, they don't give them screens, you can sort of, you can manipulate the environment. But it gets much harder and there's so much evidence that kids are affected at many ages. I spoke about cognitive development, mental health, the impact on mental health, there's been so much media on that. And we're seeing now it's specific to certain contents online, more social media, nor more for girls. So we need guidelines for all ages. We need professional, you know, medical organizations to issue comprehensive guidelines because for things to move legally, we have the expertise. We have so much data at this point, but somebody has to take a stand here. And neither these organizations nor the World Health Organizations have taken comprehensive stance yet. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I hadn't, um, I haven't had that experience where you're talking about Roblox in schools and Minecraft in schools, luckily. And my kids' classrooms tend to be very interactive with the teacher. So luckily that has not been my experience so far, but my kids have had the experience. I tend to get my kids' phones later. And, you know, I have a, my son was sitting with some friends at school and he didn't have a phone yet. And the two friends he was sitting with are both on phones. And he ended up going and sitting with another group of people because he's like, I'm just sitting there staring up into space. Well, they're on their phones. They're not cognizant of, you know, that there's a kid there without a phone that they should maybe interact personally rather than just with a screen. Right. How old is your son? Or was he when this happened? He's in sixth grade now. So he's 12. Okay. So, you know, right. So that's the time you can sort of play with it. And of course, delaying it is better if you can. But at a certain point, you just can't because they can't communicate. 
And then it's social networks. If everybody is there, you know, they don't know what's going on. And that's one of the big issues. It is an issue. We finally did get him a phone in the middle of sixth grade for that reason. Like all of his friends, like in order to connect with his friends to meet up on the weekends, he really needed to connect with them on the phone. But it was interesting how like in person, you know, a couple of these kids were not interacting in person, where as in person, he would rather sit and chat, even if he has a phone. But, you know, there's so much work that I had done around that when they were younger, because it was so important to me that they're not plugged in all the time, you know, and I really limited their time. Screens are always away during mealtimes. Like we really followed those guidelines very carefully. Right. You know, I think parents can do, as I said, do things with younger kids. I think you can set norms in the home. And I do believe things have changed. I've spent in my book, a documentary, I spoke to lawyers. There's lots of legal change already happening and is going to happen. But I think we're sort of in the in the middle right now. And I think part of this is just awareness, right? Right. Like for me, there was so much awareness around it because of what I'd seen in the media, working for a media company and what I had done the research on. And so there was so much awareness around that for me that I was just like, no, I'm setting these boundaries really tight and I'm, there's no wiggle room. There's no screens during mealtimes. Like that's just not something I'm going to bend on. Yeah. And setting norms are important because we're seeing new norms being created all the time. I saw, I went to vacation and I saw a family in the pool. The two girls were nine and 11 and the mom, mom gave them this plastic packs to put their phones in were in the pool. So in the pool, they can be on their phones. Wow. You know, this is a norm waiting to happen. So it's like being aware of not you know, developing new norms to the extent you can is also important. And I think also parents are business owners. Parents are professionals. If parents are working in the design business, they can think, you know, am I designing a tool that's there just to keep users on for longer? Especially if this tool is targeted for kids, do I want to do that? I'm starting a new online company. Do I want to have this business model that's based on time and advertising? Or maybe I want to do something else. Maybe I want to do pay as you go or subscriptions. So awareness is key to operating, not necessarily by fighting with your kids, but trying to change our communities. Yes, definitely. You explain how history is repeating itself. So what kind of tactics, legal and psychological, have been used by industries and and in the technology industry? Yeah. So I studied uh, the tobacco industry. I studied the fights to contain tobacco, food, and protect privacy. And what I saw it's something that we touched on about how we are blaming ourselves, but this is an old playbook, basically. The uh, tobacco industry and the food industry, whenever evidence came out that they had a harmful product and it trickled out, one of the first lines of defenses was, well, our consumers choose to smoke. Our consumers choose to eat junk food. They are the ones who are responsible, not us. And it worked in court when smokers sued uh, tobacco companies for years. The court said, well, it's the smokers' vote. Tobacco companies won these lawsuits. Teens in Manhattan, they they sued uh, McDonald's because they were suffering from diabetes and uh, excessive weight gain. And McDonald's argued and won. Nobody forced them to eat at McDonald's. Nobody forced them to supersize. It's their responsibility. 
And that's exactly what the tech companies are doing. They are game manufacturers are saying it outright. They're saying it's the gamers' fault for choosing to play, and if they're not responsible, their parents should do better here. And we're giving them all the tools. We're giving them the parental controls, uh, especially you now we have all these digital well-being tools on our phones, our screen time. These are tools which are not really you know, taking away the addictive features. They're there to show us, oh, you know how much time you spend on your phone? Oh, you can put on Instagram some notices so your child will know they've been there for longer. So you can do these things. So they make us feel that we are responsible for ourselves, for our children. Well, in fact, they're trying to addict us the whole time. And it's really, really important to remember that. But it's also remember, important to know that the, the strategy fails. And one of the important fields, places it failed for the years is with children. And that's why I'm optimistic. Because we don't think about children as choosers or responsible for what they do. And you can see, like with the fight against tobacco, I mean, kids cannot buy cigarettes. Of course, they could, you know, Sometimes they would, but kids under 21 cannot easily just go and buy cigarettes as they used to. Or, you know, to fight obesity, schools are required to weigh kids and send the BMI to parents, to the parents. I mean, this would never fly for adults. So I think we're going to see the movement for change, which I'm already seeing. We're seeing with bills and laws to protect children for social media. That's where this argument will break and that's why it's broken in the past so there's so much to learn from what has happened because technology industry is not about innovation here it it's really using all strategies very good i want to talk about that a little bit um you talk about some movement that's in place for change so what are some accomplishments so far so i think the big accomplishment is what you mentioned earlier the fact that people are much more aware that's really really important all the whistleblowers that came out and spoke francis hogan who worked at facebook and talked about the fact that facebook who owns instagram knew that there were serious mental health impact on its users and they knew that the more time they spend, the worse it is. And still they chose to keep the algorithm to make sure this young users spend as much time as possible. So all of this has come out. This is definitely step one. But we're seeing already class actions by parents suing gay manufacturers for addicting their kids. In the last year, parents suing social media for the mental health impact and for addicting kids. And very interesting, last month or so, lawsuits by school districts saying, we are paying for the cost for mental health for kids because you're addicting them and causing this. So that is one place. We're seeing legislation, a law just passed in Utah, requiring parental consent for kids to use social networks. I think this is a problematic law. Uh, the all kinds of uh, issues with that law. But the fact is you're seeing movements. There's no magic pill. There's not going to be one big law that will change everything. It's not going to be a Supreme Court decision, but it's going to be pressure from many, many places that I think will make tech companies redesign their products to be less addictive, maybe to change the business models that sucks our time. And at the same time, also, you know, change the way spaces look. We, you know, we didn't used to have bars and restaurants which are smoke-free. Um, now every restaurant or bar but has their phone on the table. We find it impossible to believe that things can change, but 
we never made a decision for this and for our children to be under this constant screen time. So it is possible to find a better balance. And since we have the awareness and there's so many people already working for it, I think we'll see change. And I think so much of that is, you know, the work that you're doing is bringing the awareness because once parents are aware of the effects of the games and how addictive they are created, then we're going to start making better decisions about, do I want my kids on this? Do I even want them playing it at all? Or what kind of rules am I going to set around their time limits on it to make sure that this isn't something that they're just, you know, doing so many hours a day or between the time they come home and the time they eat dinner? at the end of the day. Absolutely. And if they're willing to listen, to educate them, if some kids are willing to, aren't, would be interested to know in how they're being manipulated and how they remind them how they felt during lockdown when they couldn't stand being in front of the screens. Yeah. Well, I mean, even the parents though, too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm like, you know, it starts with us as parents to understand how addictive they are and how it might be affecting our children. Cause I don't, think even with everything that I know and everything that all the research that I had done, I don't always think about it. I just think, oh, it's a game that my kid really likes to play and he's on with his friends. And besides those little issues I told you that I've had with, oh, I have to get on every day and, and me, you know, having to put my foot down on that, you know, or I can't stop now for dinner because I still have to finish this game and me saying, well, no, it's dinner time. You got to turn it off. I don't care, (laughs) you know, but realizing it's pulling my kids in, then I can make a decision about how I want to handle that. Right. But the thing is, it's difficult with some kids more difficult than others because they get really, really angry. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that sort of alerted me to this whole topic was that one, one of the first times I saw one of these kids who really liked playing the games, and the parents took away his iPad and he started screaming, wailing like he was a toddler. And he spent the whole evening looking for it. And I remember my father, who was sick with emphysema. And, you know, you can actually, if you stop smoking, when you have emphysema, you don't get worse. So he took his cigarette packs away and he behaved exactly like that kid. So it's these moments that remind us that there's something very serious at stake here. Very true. Yeah, that's a really eye-opening comparison for sure. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. So I really appreciate your time sharing all of this with us. If you'd like to tell the audience where to find your book and any other way to connect with you, that would be great. Sure. My book on Wired is available everywhere on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you buy your books. And you can also find me on GaiaBernstein.com. That's my book website. And that's Gaia, G-A-I-A? Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate your time and sharing this information. It's really important with us. Thank you so much for having me. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.